on. Is that cool? I just feeling. Why don't you come stand here? You're blocking my view. <laughs> just, just really feeling. Um, to worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we do, Lord. We live to worship you. We love to worship you, Jesus. I want to pray, Lord, would you stir our hearts this morning even deeper in love for you in delighting in you, in enjoying you. I just, um, I feel like the Lord has called us as a congregation to be worshipers. There is something on our congregation for worship. Even while Butley was singing and you can hear our congregation joining in, there's a beautiful sound that comes from this congregation. And, it, and I feel like this morning, the Lord actually wants to take us deeper. He wants to teach us about what worship is, why we worship. And I don't, I'm not teaching this out of a reaction because we're not good at it. I'm teaching it from a place of I believe the Lord wants to teach us and to refine us, to take us deeper. I feel like the Lord actually wants to catalyze something this morning and actually solidify something in our hearts about not only what worship is, but who we are. You know, sometimes when we think of the angels, it's easy to know what angels' job is, right? They seem to have a very clearly defined job description. They serve God, they ministers to the Lord, and they worship. That's what angels are made for. Some angels, it seems, are specifically made for one purpose, and that's to worship. It seemed like uh, Satan was actually designed to do that. He was the worship leader in heaven, actually, and he fell from grace. But the Lord made him to be a worshiper. But it's not always obvious that for you and for me, God made you for one purpose, and that's to glorify God and to glorify Him through worship. And so um, we're going to be learning about worship. But as we learn about worship, we're actually going to be lear learning about God and we're going to be learning about ourselves because it's, it's part and parcel of what God's made us to do. There's no other creature that God has made which has the capacity to worship the way that we do. We are unique in the whole world, in all of God's creation, in our ability to know God, to enjoy God. Um, and that is because we are spiritual beings. God has made us spiritual beings. Yes, we are physical, but we are spiritual beings. And when He fills us with His Holy Spirit, He equips us with an ability to know God, to see Him, to enjoy Him. And so to, to worship well is to live well. Does that make sense? 
If you want to know how to live well, learn to worship well. It's how God's made you. It's who God has made you to be. And so um, the Bible says, and I want to say this to us, there's lots of things that a church can be good at. True? And in fact, you'll notice different churches are, are good at different things. Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's discipling. And that's true of us as well. There's lots of things we can be good at. But I want to say to us, Josh and City Bowl, whatever else we are good at, the most important thing to be good at is worshiping Jesus. If we fail at everything else, and we won't, by the Lord's grace. But He's called us to be a place where His presence comes and Jesus is lifted up, Jesus is enjoyed, Jesus is adored, that we love to worship, that we live to love to worship Jesus. Amen? I was thinking even in prepping this, the Lord showed me something about me. And I share this not because I want to make this about me, but because it's got an application to your life. God has gifted me with an analytical mind. It's one of the things that, my, that I'm graced and gifted in. I have a mind that likes to analyze things, break things apart, take them apart, figure out how stuff works, and then put it back together and explain it to you. That's one of the things. So I've got a very analytical mind. But I've got another side to my personality. I'm actually, I love poetry. There's a confession. Eh? <laughs> Safe here in City Bowl. If I had to do it in Durbanville, I might get judged. I love poetry. I love music. I love the presence of Jesus. I love to sing. I love to worship. I do. And, and, and I remember, and God's, I felt the Lord saying to me, there's two sides to you, Luke. There's the poet and there's the analyst. Analytical mind. And the, 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 analy, the analytical side of my brain is, a God, is God's gift to me because he's given it to me to be a gift to you. But actually, it's not who I am. Who I am is a worshiper. He's made me to worship. And can I say, God has graced and He's gifted you, and there'll be things that you are good at doing. And that's a good thing. It's a gift. It's a, it's a grace to us as a body. And there's another side to you which just loves to worship Jesus, which loves to sing, that loves to delight in Jesus, that loves to have communion with Him and intimacy with Him. And I want to say, that's the side of you that God wants to grow, that He wants you to lean into. I had this uh, picture that the Lord gave me uh, just in prepping this of like a man standing on earth and busy with his hands, busy with his feet, but with his shoulders in the clouds looking on Jesus. Maybe you can actually put that image up. It's not a real photo of Jesus. Unfortunately, I don't have a photo of heaven or of Jesus. I would joke and say I took this during my quiet time and I want to share it with the rest of you. But just leave it up there. I had this picture, and it's an important picture. It's almost like the picture that I feel like summarizes everything I want to say this morning, is that half of us is here, and half of us is in heaven. Did you know that? Heaven has come into earth. He's put His Spirit in us, and we are worshipers. There's something angelic about what God's made us to be, and He wants us to live our lives here on earth. But with a vision of Jesus in heaven. And this picture is such a beautiful picture of like angels worshiping around uh, Jesus and the glory and the radiance of Christ. And there's something that we need to live with as Christians, a heavenly vision. And every now and then when the world gets us down and we're feeling discouraged, we're feeling frustrated, and you're feeling like life's a riddle that you can't solve, we need to pop back up into heaven again 
and cast our eyes and our hearts on Jesus, get filled with a sense of the glory of who He is and the wonder of what He's called us to, and then keep get busy with the things that He's called us to. Because we can get so busy doing the things that He's called us to that we can lose our vision of heaven. And actually, we are heavenly creatures. We have already been made new. We've already been born again. Jesus is making us ready for that. And we've got work to do here, but we can't forget that essentially we are already seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? And He's put His Spirit inside of us. Um, There's something I want to mention just about worship and worship leaders. One of my favorite, um, and I'm going to make a lot of people have serious FOMO when I say this, but that's okay. One of my favorite times in this church this year was, I think it was the Sunday before last when when I preached on this is who Jesus is. And then we had worship before, and it was like a... When we had worship afterwards, it was like heavenly. And Dave, who was leading the meeting, shame, he, he basically attempted two or three times to close the meeting. And he didn't succeed because the worship just kept reviving and going on. And eventually it got awkward, and I went to Dave, and I said, Dave, I think you need to close the meeting. He said, look, I've already twi- tried twice. I'm, I'm not, if you want to close the meeting, that's up to you. That's between you and the Lord. I'm done. I've tried closing this service. And it was so special, man. It was, it was like something of heaven touched earth. And the, the, the worship team were, were, were leading worship. They were doing everything that they should do. But actually, they weren't even leading worship. The congregation was leading the worship. There was just spontaneous praise and worship that was flowing. And it was so beautiful. And I think that is what worship can look like and should look like. Yes, we need worship leaders, but they are there to facilitate us in worshiping. One of the things that grieves my heart more than anything in the world is when you see these videos online of like worship encounters and the videos panning across the worship team. And you can see the worship team are doing what they love. They are pouring their hearts out, and they are worshiping Jesus. And you can see, man, this probably, probably this is this whole person's life. This is just what they do for fun, you know. And then the video pans onto the audience, and they're all sitting there, and they're like chewing uh, bubble gum and eating popcorn. It, not literally, but you, you kind of get that vibe. Like, they are watching people worship, you know. And it grieves my heart because it's like, man, that's not... We are made to worship. When we are worshiping, it's... It's fitting, and it's right, and it's good, it's natural. It's like something that God intended to happen in me, in you, is now happening, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to God, but it's actually also good for us because God's saints are delighting in Jesus. It's the way it should be. Uh, And so that is what worship is. In fact, the Bible says that when a church doesn't know how to delight in Jesus and how to worship Him, how to enjoy Him. It actually says that, uh, maybe let's put it up, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Just keep that up there. So this church, they were a church. They were meeting every Sunday. And, and they, th- they thought they were rich. And that's because they had money. 
They thought they had all the good things that this life has to offer, and, but they didn't have this delighting in Jesus. And so Jesus says, no, no, you're not rich. You, you're poor. P- poor, wretched, blind, and naked. And then he goes on to say, I, I would love it that if you could um, purchase from me solve, which is medicine, an ointment, to put on your eyes so that you can see. He wants us to see. What does that mean? It means that when the Holy Spirit fills our lives, we actually see something of Jesus with our eyes of faith. The Bible says, come and taste and see and know that I am good. Tasting is different to looking at something. You know, you can watch these come dine with me uh, dinner cook shows, which we all love to do. But it, let's be honest, it's great to see it, but the proof's in the eating, Right? And there is something, and I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. Maybe you don't know this. I want to tell you. There is something about the kingdom of God that you can experience and know and taste and see that He is good. And we do that by the Spirit. Sometimes when you'll be worshiping, sometimes you'll be reading the Scriptures, and and it's truth that you're singing, it's truth that you're reading, but suddenly you have a moment in the Spirit where you just, you know, you experience the truth of the beauty of Jesus you begin to experience joy. You begin to experience peace and love. And then you're beginning to see. And so Jesus is saying to this church, you look like a church. You're filled with Christians. But you need to see. There's something you need to experience of me so that you can worship well. So when I say worship well, I am talking about singing and dancing and expressing our worship to Jesus with our bodies. But I'm not just talking about that. Probably you've already discerned that. I'm talking about a life of worship. Jesus got a theological question from a Samaritan woman to say, you know, we say we should worship God in this place, and you Jews say you should worship Jesus in Jerusalem, or God, not Jesus. Uh, You know, what do you have to say about this? And Jesus said, a time is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, there'll be priests who will worship Jesus wherever they are because they are filled with His Spirit. Their whole lives will be worship. And so when you talk about intimacy maybe in a marriage, what are you talking about? Lots of things. It can be physical affection. can be emotional intimacy. can be time spent together. can be talk about how well you communicate with one another, whether you feel heard. All of those things are intimacy, right? So when we talk about worship, what are we talking about? All of it. Worshiping on a Sunday, worshiping on your own, the times you spend with Jesus, singing, dancing, enjoying God, seeking God, living for Jesus, speaking with God, going to sleep at night with His His praises on your lips, waking up in the morning with a song. All of it is worship. Amen? And so I want to just mention a few things about what worship actually is. Worship is admiration and awe. Admiration and awe. What does that mean? Well, in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, this is admiration. This is the psalmist singing, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. You can just leave that up there. I want to just pick up on that phrase. Why does He want to go to the temple? He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It's beautiful, isn't it? I want to gaze upon... So when you admire something, you pause and you look on something and you just admire it. Think of like you're going home from a busy day at work and it's winter and the sun goes down early in winter and you're driving past the beach. You've had a busy day, things are hectic, been a bit stressed out. And as you look over, you see the sun just setting below the ocean and the light from the sun is radiating and illuminating the clouds and there's this beautiful colors and you maybe pull over and you just pause and admire and enjoy the sunset. That's admiration. And the scripture and Jesus would encourage us to do the same thing, to pause and just say, Jesus, you are so beautiful. I love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your kindness towards me. Thank you for your mercy towards me. Thank you that you're so glorious and big and powerful, but yet you're so personal. I love you, Lord. And you just pause and you enjoy him. He goes into the temple to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He's not in a rush. He's not got an agenda. The agenda is, I want to enjoy you, Jesus. I want to admire you. Awe is something slightly different. When we speak about awe, it means to see something or to experience someone and suddenly feel very small. But as you feel really small and insignificant, it's refreshing to your soul because it puts things in the right perspective. It's a sense of, I've actually had times in God's presence where I've seen how big He is and how powerful He is and how majestic, and I just started laughing because I saw myself as, I saw myself and laughed. It's like, I'm so small. I'm so insignificant. I can't do anything. And I just laughed. It's just like I'm laughing at myself in the light of His glory and His majesty and His power. So when you feel awe, for God. He shows you a glimpse of how big He is, how powerful He is, and there's the sense of awe and awestruck wonder. And it in, almost instinctively produces worship. And so David would say it like this in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. Often it, you feel like this when you see God's creation. I think God deliberately made the earth like one of the smallest planets in the whole of the solar system. I think he did it on purpose to show us a sense of scale. But David said this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Don't you want to put up that, that image? I haven't actually ever had the privilege of seeing the northern lights. But these people are, you can see they went down to the lake and, oh, let's go and have a look at the lights. And as they stare up in heaven, sometimes in, in the Karoo you get a, a little bit of this, not the northern lights, but a sense of, like, when you look outside at night in Cape Town, you don't see much, right? You just, like, see smog, basically. But there's the sense that you get when you see God's creation. And the Bible says, when I see the heavens, they declare your glory. And you get that sense as you look out into the vast expanse of the, of, of the, of the lights. And, and the, it just feels big. 
And then you think, well, God created that. And you get a sense of the glory of, of God and the majesty of God, that he's, he's not like us. Yes, he's a person like us, but he's not like us. And so a sense of awe is the sense of the majesty um, of God, the glory of God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, can you put that up? There's a, worship, a lot of worship scenes that we get a glimpse of heaven. And they're singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. When we speak about worship, if you read in Scripture, you almost always find the word worship tied with glory somewhere. The word glory comes up a lot. It's a word that we as Christians use a lot. I'm not sure if we all are 100% um, knowledgeable on what the word actually means. It just sounds like a cool word, right? The glory of God. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Not 100% sure. It just sounds powerful. When we speak about the glory of God, you are speaking about the majesty of God or the kingliness of God. Not only is he a king, but he's the king of heaven. He's the ruler of heaven and earth. When we speak about the glory of God, we are often speaking about the beauty of God. That's just why the, the, the scriptures say that, that the heavens declare the glory of God. How do they do that? Well, it's the, it's the beauty of God. It speaks about creation. When you see the beauty of creation, it shows you something of the beauty of the creator. But the Bible also sa says that Jesus reveals the glory of God, which is an interesting Thing to say. So when you talk about the glory of God, you are talking about the power of God, the kingliness of God, the goodness of God, the high and aboveness of God. But, but in, in, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says this about Jesus. It says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. It speaks about His nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So how does Jesus reveal the glory of God? Because there's not a lot of high and aboveness when you think about Jesus on earth. He came and he became a man just like us, suffered like us, was weak in many ways, just like us. The reason he reveals the glory of God is because he reveals the goodness of God, the kindness of God. The mercy of God. He's such an interesting character, isn't he? When you read the story, you've got here the high king of heaven. He's come to earth with the most important mission every, any person has ever had on earth. Think about it. Imagine your job in, in life was to save all of humanity. That's, that's a, that is a big mission. That's an important task. He's God in flesh. And yet he walks around and he sees individuals. He picks out individuals in a crowd. Like he sees Lazarus, this short little guy, up a tree, a tax collector of all things, sinful, by all accounts, not a very nice person to spend time with. Didn't have a lot of friends. Jesus is walking with this huge mission to save all of humankind. And he spots Zacchaeus in the tree. And he sees a man in need of grace a man in need of forgiveness, a man in need of love. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. And so when we talk about the glory of God, yes, it's big, it's expansive. He's the high king of heaven, but it's also personal. 
God holds the whole world in his hand and your heart. He knows what's happening in your heart and he cares. He knows what's happening in your life. He says he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's a lot, that's a lot of detail. And he cares. He doesn't just know, he cares. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about God. That he can hold the whole world and he can hold my heart at the same time. He knows and he cares. And so that is how Jesus reveals the glory of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross for me. That's the glory of God. It's the nature of God. He's a good God. He's a kind king. He's humble. and He's merciful. Worship is desire and devotion. It's a strange thing maybe to, to speak about desire when you're talking about worship. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit puts a desire in our hearts for Jesus. He makes us to desire Him. And desire is almost not strong enough of a word. The Bible speaks about longing, about hungering and thirsting. speaks about a person with a thirst, like a person who's going through a desert that is desperate for a drink of water. That's the kind of desire that God, by His Spirit, stirs up in our heart. It becomes a life-defining desire. The Bible actually says Jesus is the desire of all nations. Isn't that beautiful? He's the desire of all nations. And so worship is about seeking. It's about longing. It's about desiring and enjoying the one that my soul loves. We sing that song, and it's actually from a... um, a verse in the scriptures, my beloved is the most beautiful among thousands. And as we sing that song, he's more beautiful than thousands. He's more beautiful than thousands. There's something of of an expression of the desire that we have, that he's more precious to me, that I love him more, that that I'm ruined without him. David probably said it best. He says, heaven has, uh, earth has nothing I desire apart from you. Earth has nothing I desire apart from you. He's, he's experienced, he's tasted, and he desires Jesus, and it's ruined him for anything else in this life. Amen? So worship is desire, but desire gives birth to devotion. What is devotion? Oftentimes you'll be worshiping, and suddenly uh, you get tricked into to saying, signing your life away in worship. Have you noticed that? And you pause and you think, wow, I'm singing a lot right now. You know, like I'm, I'm signing my whole life away. How did that happen? And, but it happens instinctively when you love. When you love someone, when you, when you desire someone, when they're everything to you, start saying like, Jesus, I give you my whole life, Lord. Anything you want from me, I'll do it, Lord. I'll go where you send me, Lord. I'll give up what, whatever is necessary to be with you. And you're signing your life away. That's devotion. Devotion flows from desire. When you see something more precious than anything else in the world. So all of these are part of worship. The last thing I'll mention is that worship is gratitude and wonder and delighting that cannot be contained. Worship is an outburst of praise. It's, it almost comes spontaneously when you get a revelation of the beauty and the glory and the desirability of Jesus. It must be. And can I say to you, for some of us, we struggle with the expression of our worship. And I want to say, you know what? 
expressing your love is one of the most important things for your love. If you're in a relationship and you never express your heart's feelings towards something, there's something deficient in that relationship. Yes, for sure, words aren't everything, but without words, it's deficient. And worship is an expression, not just of my song, but my whole body worships and and delights in Him and, and, and loves to honor Him passionately. And so worship is often um, undignified. True worship is often undignified. The reason why it's undignified is because you're not aware of anyone else. You forget, oh, I'm actually in a room with 150 people. I, I actually slipped my mind, you know, because I'm so focused on the one that I love. But sometimes we have to consciously choose to ignore the other people in the room and, and worship Him and express, give full expression to what I'm feeling in my heart. It's so important that we learn to get over everybody else and think only of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so I said it's not all about corporate worship, but it is about corporate worship. If your life is only a lifestyle of worship, but it never actually finds expression through your body, through your song, then it's not yet complete. And so I want to close by saying that to worship well is how you live well. We all worship something. In fact, my experience is that we all tend to worship something incredibly passionately. (laughs) But to worship God well is to live well. And for some of you who are hearing this, maybe, you've, maybe you hear me teaching on worship and you're thinking, wow, that sounds beautiful. This is the first time I've ever even heard this. And you're feeling like, I don't know if I've ever worshipped a day in my life. <laughs> that's okay. That's why we're together. That's why we're in a church. That we're, that's why we have times like this. We grow in our knowledge of the Lord and we grow in worshipping the Lord well. But I want to just remind you, you are made to be a worshipper. That is why God made you. And when you are learning, when you've learned to worship Him well, you will experience the joy of doing the very thing you were made to do. There's something incredibly unique and beautiful about that. When you finally discover the thing you were made to do, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And so I want to encourage you to grow in worship. Grow in delighting in the Lord. Grow in pausing and admiring Him. Celebrating Him. Honoring Him sitting in awe of Him, and allowing your voice and your life and your body to express the delight that you have in your, in your heart for Jesus. Amen? Maybe the worship team can come up.